Hey everybody, this is Fran Frischella and welcome to the World of Basketball podcast. The podcast that shrinks the basketball globe for you and uh, brings you in contact with great basketball people uh, from around the world. And uh, we, uh, we talk to coaches, players, executives from really every corner of the globe. And today, a reprise. We are going to replay an incredible podcast we did a few weeks ago with the Australian Olympic coach, Brian Gorgian. Now, when you hear this, some of you will be hearing it before the game with the USA. If you if you if you play the podcast immediately, uh, some of you may play it after the game's already been played. Let's just say at the time we're recording this, um, it, it's setting up for a great matchup in the semifinals. Uh, the United States now fully whole with uh, the three players arriving from the NBA finals. Uh, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday and Devin Booker have look to hit stride uh, since we watched them struggle in Las Vegas and certainly in the opening game against France. Uh, Kevin Durant uh, leads the U.S. to the semifinals with 29 points in the win over Spain. And uh, Australia destroyed Argentina, 25-0 run in the fourth quarter, ended Argentina's hopes. France uh, uh, advanced easily, as did Slovenia. They'll meet in the semifinals. Uh, first of all, um, a shout out to the great Luis Scola, uh, who ended his Argentina uh, basketball career on the national team uh, with the with the loss uh, to Australia. Twenty six years professionally, five Olympic tournaments, and the stirring uh, close of that game where the Australian team and the few people in the arena at Saitama. Uh, gave uh, Louis Scola an incredible standing ovation that went on about two minutes. Um, if you can catch it on film, it's it's it'll it'll make you make you make you tear up. It really will. Also, uh, Mark and Paul Gasol uh, have announced that they've ended their international careers. And uh, again, Mark, uh, tremendous player, uh, national uh, excuse me NBA title, world title, uh, ACB title. Um, Powell, the same thing. Uh, Powell, five Olympic uh, appearances. And uh, again, two class guys. Uh, Spain and Argentina have been a part of the basketball culture, as you know, internationally for two decades. They've represented their countries with grace and class and tremendous play, tremendous teamwork. We wish those guys all the best of luck. Um, if you... Uh, uh, you may know by now that uh, Bayheim's Army won the TBT. Uh, great finish. Kiefer Sykes, young man that played at Green Bay, who's uh, been playing overseas for quite a while, hits the game winner. And great thing about TBT, as you know, uh, most of those guys are still playing at a high level around the world. College players from the States who go over around the world and uh, continue their great pro career. So, um, you know, it, uh, that, congratulations to those guys. All right, the Boomers <clears throat> playing great basketball. Um, four guys who have been around this block a long time. Uh, Patty Mills, FIBA Patty, uh, Joe Ingles, Matt Delvadova, and, of course, Aaron Baines, who got hurt in the opening game. Uh, they have been the heart and soul of the team. They have gotten great play from Matisse Teibel, um, who uh, plays for the Philadelphia 76ers, who joined this team for the first time. Jock Landale. The St. Mary's star, as we talked about during the Olympic coverage on NBC, 
we thought he was headed to the NBA. He has signed with the San Antonio Spurs a two-year deal. Nick Kay, who plays in Japan, uh, former NBL Rookie of the Year, uh, a guy that a lot of people were surprised about. I, I think this is time to bring in my guy, Chris Tyler, my producer, uh, who knows everything about Down Under. Chris, uh, quick quick thoughts on Australia and what you think. And let's start with Nick Kay and the uh, contribution he's made to this team. Because around the world, not a lot of people know Nick Kay. Yeah, he's been fantastic for us so far. And we really needed him to step up after that first game when Aaron Baines went down with an injury. We needed him to step up. We needed Jock Landau to step up. They both did. They've both been really, you know, um, aggressive on the on the boards, which is what we really need. They know how to set screens. They're smart players. They're tough players. And they're showing, especially Nick Kay is showing why Brian Gorgian trusted him and, and, and took him to Tokyo rather than someone like Josh Giddy, which I think a lot of Australians were expecting Josh Giddy to, to make the team. He didn't. Nick Kay did. And, I don't think uh, anyone's questioning that decision anymore. Well, yeah, it's fortuitous because we couldn't have thought, we couldn't have known that Aaron Baines would be out the rest of the tournament, and he certainly has filled in. Notice my my buddy Chris Tyler said we, um, you know, living in North Carolina, uh, married to an American, but that's okay. Uh, we, we love him because he's brought us some incredible guests this year, including the great Andrew Gaze, who played in five Olympics, Lauren Jackson, the great Australian uh, women's player, uh, Chris Anstey, who played in the 2000 Olympics. Um, so we we covered we covered down under pretty well, and, and right we had now, Baines on. We had Baines on as well. We that's right. We had Aaron Baines on. So uh, yeah, the roughly 60 uh, podcasts we've had so far. Uh, yeah, we probably had seven or eight Aussies, and that that works out well. But I think I think Chris, um, you and I both agree, and we've gotten great feedback from many others about uh, Brian Gorgian and. Uh, you'll get a sense from Brian Gorgian of what the boomer culture, the basketball culture means uh, to people like yourself who love Australian sports and appreciate uh, the toughness and teamwork and togetherness these guys bring to the table, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really good to see guys like Matisse Thibel really come in. And as you've been saying on the broadcast, he's, he's pretty much becoming a, 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 he's fitting so well with this team Pretty much immediately, he's playing unbelievable defense. He's been probably the best defender in the Olympics so far. Um, he's the exact type of guy that we want on this roster, and, and he's, he's well and truly proving his worth to the team. Absolutely. Born in Scottsdale, Arizona, moved to Sydney when he was two, uh, lived there till he was nine with, a, with a, a mom who was a doctor, a father who was an engineer. And mom and dad decided before they came back to the States, as long as um, – Matisse and his, I believe it was his sister, were eligible to get a dual passport, dual citizenship. They uh, took advantage of it. And uh, here we are, I don't know, you know, maybe 15, 16 years later, um, Matisse Thibel, the dual citizen, is representing uh, Australia quite well. So, hey, uh, before we get to Brian Gorgian, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe to the uh, podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Download the Sirius XM app. Um, and you can go back and hear many of the almost 60 podcasts that we have recorded. We love bringing them to you. And again, a very special repeat of a, uh, of a podcast we did a few weeks ago with Australia's uh, Olympic basketball coach, Brian Gorgian. I think you're going to really enjoy this if you're hearing this for the first time. And uh, if you've heard it already, 
hear it again because you'll understand why the Aussies uh, present a potential problem for the USA. And um, who knows, by the time you hear this podcast, we will obviously know the results. So uh, enjoy Brian Gorgian. A very special guest today on World of Basketball. Uh, Last time I saw him was in Shanghai. Uh, You were coaching, I I think you were coaching Guangdong, right? No. uh, And you know what? I've coached both, uh, Fran, but I think when I saw you, I was, did we we have Jimmer Fredette? Yeah, you. So you were you were coaching Jimmer. That's what it was. I was. I would. That's correct. I was the associate coach during Gershon Yabersay. So uh, and we were playing. We were playing Guangdong, who I used to be the associate coach for. I, I knew that, uh, and then we'll get into that associate coach stuff later. But there's a. Uh, I'd like to ask you a little bit about China, but more importantly, we're getting ready in the next. I don't know, two months or so. Uh, uh, to um, to start Olympic basketball, and you are you're going to be the coach again, and which is uh, unique. I mean, you will go into your career, Brian. Uh, first time I ever heard of the name Gorgian. I want you to know this was Street and Smiths back in the mid '70s when your brother was in there, uh, Greg, who was like one of the best players. It was before ESPN, before scouting services. And I remember opening up this street in Smith saying, who's this guy, Greg Gorgian? He's averaging like 45 points a game. And <laughs> so you come from a basketball family, and I can't wait to get into all this. But uh, you are the Olympic coach for the Australian national team, uh, one of the teams that I think has a chance to win the gold if everything falls right. Obviously, USA, we can get into them. Um, but – what what is what is it like right now post I don't want to say post pandemic but you know we're we're gonna have it looks like we're going to Tokyo hopefully I know there's a lot of chatter about that but you're coaching a team you've got guys playing in the NBA everything is uncertain for every team that's going what is that experience like right now Yeah it's it's uh, it's challenging for sure Fran um, but. Uh, I guess the, the the high road with all of this and the and the reason for you know the involvement really was timing and the fact that uh, as you say coming back into this at my age it 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 been out of it for twelve years is the fact that Joe Ingles and and uh, Deladova Baines and at that time when I I was being interviewed for the job Bogut who I have a strong relationship with um, and Patty Mills are so um dedicated and so committed to this no, no no matter um what the scenario brings the length of the nba season the challenge of covid all these things that you bring up that main group and again when i was in it before it was a young team and lithuania and argentina were like that you know with pepe sanchez and ginobili and scola that group and in lithuania had that group and my guys just kids and these guys are very committed but but to make us special the Tybal, the simmons the that 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 scenario in the length of the nba season the challenges of uh now getting those guys in to a system that's pretty has been pretty complex i mean the aussie one a half court system a little different than anybody else and you bring pieces in with no practice time there's a lot of challenges that I'm I'm uh, 
I'm, I'm dealing with right now, just as far as system goes and the difference in system, depending on that, who that plays. But I just imagine that um, when you look at the rest of the world, um, they're all facing those challenges. And I've got that one bonus piece that the main NBA guys are in. How, you know, that's interesting. Joe Ingles has said if his team, the Utah Jazz, play until the seventh game of the NBA Finals, he's going to grab a couple beers, get, a, get on that flight to Tokyo and meet you guys and be ready to go. So having said that, with the potential of having Ben and, and, and Tybul, who a lot of people don't realize, Matisse is, looks like he's going to be a key piece for you. Most of us here in the States know him as a kid that played at Washington. How, from a coaching standpoint, how are you going to do that, given that the rest of your team is going to be starting training camp in you know, late June, early July? Um, I, I think a, a key piece is, Fran, is keeping it simple. Um, I'm not going to certain things that, you know, there's a lot of challenges with the time frame, but there's also a lot of pat positives. Hey, you got nine days, you got three games leading in. It kind of clarifies where you can go with this. You know, it's, it's not going to, okay, we're going to need to have these concepts in defensively and, and these concepts in offensively. And then the synergy has been a huge positive, you know, um, watching Joe play for Utah and how they use him in horns, how they use um, Simmons off the ball, on the ball, and incorporate some things that they're just totally familiar with. And uh, the other group, the, the, the rest of the group, um, I think that you have can adjust to that. You And you have a gritty group too. I mean, I, I don't think there's going to be a grittier team. And I'm not just saying this, Brian. I know those guys, you know, watching these guys come through the, the boomer system, grit and toughness is kind of in the DNA of these guys. So I'm sure that's going to make up for some of the lack of practice time or, or perceived chemistry, even though a lot of these guys have been together for a decade. You make a strong point, Fran, and, and uh, it's interesting. I, I took over the boomers back uh, after the Sydney Olympics, and they didn't qualify for the Worlds. And one of the things with the Sydney Olympics, a lot of the guys played longer because they wanted to play at home in Sydney. And virtually the whole team retired at the same time. And when you go to an Olympics, okay, so we don't qualify for the Worlds, I get hired and brought in for Athens. And you have to be, the, to be competitive in that. You have to be the best in the world at something. And what you're talking about was our, you know, let's be great at teamship. Let's be great at culture. We're going to be the toughest team. We're going to wave towels. We're going to pick guys up. We're going to huddle up. You know, we're going to get into faces. And when you get to the Olympic Games and we get to Athens, we were so off the mark in that area. You realize how good you have to be um, when you're looking at Argentina and Lithuania, where they were then. And now you come back 12 years later and you walked into this as coach and you Zoom and you listen to those guys. And I, I was almost teary, Fran, on, on how um, committed and how strong and how opinionated they were about um, the boomers' culture. And um, this is it. This is their, their and, and what they want to leave. And they want it to continue when they're done. And they're working actively at that. 
But the culture of the boomers is something, again, I, I feel like I was a part of starting, but the build on this is a credit to those guys that you name. And I feel um, really excited that I'm going to be with a group of guys that are going to be like that because my persona, my personality, whatever happens, um, you, you're proud if the guys are, are giving and you've got that culture and it's visual. It's something to, uh, it is a skill and it's something to be proud of. And, and right now this group has it. You've come full circle, Brian, because uh, you're a Southern California guy. Um, you've spent much of your life now in Australia. You're you know, I, one of the great coaches in the history of the country. What is it about, you've been there so long, I know it's in your blood. What is it about the culture of the country, of sports in Australia, that there is that grit and toughness built in? I don't care if it's Australian rules football or rugby or, you know, certainly the, the, the basketball team you have. What is it about the culture of the country that you've seen evolve, that, that's, that's, that you've seen over time? being from Southern California and dropping yourself yeah, in. It's, it's a great friend. You, you tell a story. I mean, I, 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 I've had such a four, you know, my, my father was, was my high school coach. And you talk about Greg was four ACF player of the year. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went to Pennsylvania and played for Gary Colson. And uh, <laughs> one of I my favorites, roomed, I, <laughs> one of my favorites. I roomed with, I roomed with Howie Dalmar. Wow. And Howie Dalmar's father was the head coach of Stanford at that time. And he was brought, he, Howie played for a guy named Bud Presley that was one of the toughest human beings I had ever come across. And I was at a going away thing for Howie to go to Europe. And Bud said to me, if I had a son, I'd send him to Australia. He goes, I just did clinics there. And he said, he goes, they're the, the he goes, I, I couldn't believe they were how tough and how, you know, they're, they, they, they play their ass off and they have a beer afterwards. It's like, it's a fist fight. And then when it's done, it's a handshake and it's, it's beers at the bar. And he said, I've never seen anything like it. And honestly, Fran, it, you know, I got there, I called my dad within six months and I said, I ain't coming back. <laughs> and I think, to, to, you know, we were, you know, we, we were brought up my era, that era, you know, you played baseball, you played basketball, you played football and uh, their football, all these players that I played against played and their football is there's no clipping. You don't know where the hits are coming from. They're flying around smack. And I honestly, um, the, the players that I, I played against that were, thick, strong, you know, would jump in your path, pop you. You couldn't cut. You couldn't move anywhere. You'd be in a bear hug off the ball. Um, just physical. And I, I just said, God, Dad, the, the basketball here is so physical and so tough. And then leading to when I got into coaching, um, I was told, you know, if you're, you're going to learn or you're going to grow, they, they've got to be great at some sport go into their a sport they're good at and learn. So I went into the football and that answered your question. It's just, it, it's just a tough breed of, of guys and a, a, a really tough physical sport. And most of these guys are, are brought up that way. 
So uh, when there's a ball on the ground in football, you're taught, you know, uh, you got to go in first and, and, and you get hurt. So um, when there was a loose ball, I never, you know, you, you turn to go get it. And there's a guy's, you know, his butt's standing, you know, like it's like they're in there first and you go, they learn all this stuff, football code, but they're, they're uh, a tough brand of, of your average Aussie is, is a, is a tough guy, a tough competitor uh, can can drink a beer and can 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 practice afterwards, and, uh, uh, they're, and they're 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 tremendous um, teammates. When, when I when I got to you know college basketball, it was always you know you're sitting on the bench and you're you're hoping the guy in front of you something happens to him so you get to get in there. Yeah. They're um, um, un- unbelievable teammates and. Uh, Teamship is is uh, it, it a, it's a it's a whole different mindset than America, and uh, and I'm not taking anything away from America, but America, you look at the NBA, it's more um, bring your bag, do your job, get your 15 rebounds and 10 points if that's your job, and if we get along, great. Where um, Australia is, you know, uh, works at. No, we, we, we got to get along. This team's got to be tight. We got to care for each other. We got to love each other to get the best out of what we can get as a team. And if we don't have that, we're not going to win. That's the culture of an Australian team. So the, the guy that I would think best espouses that over the last decade would probably be Matty Delvadova. And it looks like he's going to be healthy from what I've been reading in the paper. But how important is a guy like how how much does he uh, how much does he kind of stand for that exact culture you're talking about? He's 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 the leader there for sure, and he's gotten to where he's gotten. Um, Joe has this quality, you know. Bogut, this, you know, obviously Simmons and Tybalt. He's gotten there through what you've talked about. I've played with so I've had so many. Um, American guards in in China go. How the hell am I here with you and Delhi playing for? How does that work? And I go, man, you you just do not get it. This kid is the in just what what you've described is that he stands for it, and he's he's loved here for it, and he's he's a real real important piece, as you say, Fran, and also in the fact that of, of our depth in that position. You know, you've got Exum that's been out for a long period of time. You've got Ben, and we don't – he's never played for the national team, and his team's going to – it looks like in it for a long way. And you, you look at that spot, and our depth chart there is the most vulnerable of any position. So he is, he is very, very important, not only for the mentality, but just as far as what we've got in the guard spot. You know, I, I think Joe Ingles, in my humble opinion, been studying him for two or three years now. To me, he's one of the five or ten best pick-and-roll players in the world, maybe, in a, maybe top five. And he's so damn slow, Brian – it's almost an advantage for him to be slow. How will you use him given that he's not, you don't have the depth at the position. Can he play some, you know, point, like whatever we call it point small forward for you? How, how will you utilize him? Cause I just love watching him play. 
You know, it, it's uh, Quinn does such a tremendous job with Joe. Um, and, and watch all the teams play. And again, Synergy is a wonderful tool. And you watch what Andre did with him. They ran a lot of flat screens with him carrying the ball up and Patty Mills opposite the ball and, and, and hit his guy and then, you know, bring it back to him so he's on his left hand with a five-man where he gets the ball caught and he's stationary and he can play off that middle pick and roll. And obviously, Fran, I'm not a genius. It's, it's uh, watching Synergy and seeing how he's being used. And uh, one thing about the uh, NBA, they're, they're set. It's, it's not rocket science. It's, it's, it's intelligent. Spacing's great. And it's simplistic. And, it, and that kind of fits where we're at with six days of training. So you're hoping when, when Joe comes in, it's kind of just, just continue to do what you've been doing with the Jazz. And, and, we, and we make that part of our structure. But we're going to need him to carry the ball against pressure up the floor. We're going to need help there with the ball in his hand. And then we've got to get that ball to him. So he's coming downhill on that left hand off uh, middle pick and roll. But he's uh, another one. Again, I agree with you. He's a tremendous pick and roll player and a guy that's multiple positions and in our scenario, a guy that can play the point when Delhi's out. When we, when we, when I was growing up in New York, and we would watch the Brady Bunch or some of the TV shows that had Southern California, to me it seemed like the idyllic life. You know, I'm just wondering, a kid in that time playing high school basketball for your dad in in that era, and with all the things going on with UCLA and other stuff like the Vietnam War, all that crazy stuff. What was it like growing up being a high school basketball player in your era? It was, it was um, our area, Glendale, <clears throat> La Crescenta, and we were an all-white school. And uh, we were in a league with Muir, Pasadena, Blair, and we got our ass handed to us in all sports at that time, 4A. Those, the Blair had, you know, their quarterback, their, they'd go to UCLA, USC, running backs. The basketball team, we were ran like the military. And uh, my year, <clears throat> uh, we went 29 and one and lost to Verbum Day in the CIF final. And they had the famous uh, guard, Raymond Lewis. Joy, and was David Greenwood on that team as well, or was no, David, he was no. already on? Yeah, no, David Greenwood, uh, Rich Hamilton were after. So this is 1971. Greg played against Greenwood and Hamilton. So Raymond Lewis, this was 1971. I, our front line was 6'10", 6'11", 6'9". And I played with – so I went my college was Howie Dalmar, and his dad was the head coach of Stanford – my high school center was Bob Boyd. His dad was the coach at USC. And um, growing up at that time, it, it just uh, sport, you know, you didn't have all the get everything was sport every, every, every in, in, in practice and trying to get a college scholarship. And then uh, for me, um, being on a team that was, you know, um, again, for 
you know, playing Verbum Day. We won the, we played in the font, beat Crenshaw, beat, you know, all Pasadena, beat Muir, went undefeated in league, um, had a tremendous following. And then to get the college scholarship and end up in Malibu Beach. <laughs> so, you know, uh, Colson took me to uh, the, the campus was in 88th Street in Vermont. Watts is 103rd Street, Vermont. The Watts riots were in the late 60s. It was like a war zone. And he didn't take me there. He took me to a mountain in Malibu. And he goes, one year, and then we're here. And, <laughs> oh, the uh, campus. You know, oh, the campus wow. not even, they, they were blowing up the mountain. I saw him hit, hit it, blow up the mountainside. The next year, we were at, I played one year at, my freshman year in downtown LA. And then my sophomore year, we went to the Pepperdine campus and the gym wasn't built yet. And we used to travel to Culver city to practice and play our games. And then the following year we ended up going to the sweet 16. And it's funny how you, um, we ended up getting Dennis Johnson out of junior wow. college. Wow. Yeah. Oh, so he's our starting guard. And yeah. we end up going to the sweet 16 and we lose to UCLA. And I'll oh. never forget, Colson, Colson walked into the locker room and he looked at everybody and he goes, I knew we were done. And I'm looking <laughs> at him like, like, what? And he goes, you guys all grew up in California and watched these guys win 10 championships. You know, there was no way we were getting these done. But, you know, as you said, Fran, the, the, the sport then um, – the 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 day to day with my dad and what we had going on at our local high school, and then the fact that uh, Johnny Wooden and UCLA were doing what they were doing, you know, ten championships in a row, watching that, and and you know the the following of that, and then uh, um, yeah, so so uh, it, tr tr tremendous experience, and then the the close I go to. Australia, I'm seven years older than Greg, and there's no, there's no internet, there's none of that stuff when I'm in Australia to make a phone calls like, like, you know, a local calls like $50 and you're making maybe $200 a week. So you never talk to anybody. And I, middle of the night, I'd get a phone call and I, I pick up the phone and you could beep, beep, beep. You could hear Scott, somebody's calling me from you. Is my dad okay? Is it, you know, and it, uh, this is Jim Herrick here from uh, UCLA, your brother would love coming, to, you know, and I'm <laughs> pulling the phone back going, man, it's, it's two o'clock in the morning in Australia. And I, you know, I had, Fran, I, I heard all this going on, but I was in Australia while Greg was doing all this, but I got calls from university after, you know, it'd be two o'clock in the morning, my roommate would go there. There's another call from the States about your brother. He goes, he must be doing it. And I go, <laughs> wow. You mentioned Jim Herrick, who's a friend. Coach McQuarn was a dear friend I, I, and a mentor of mine. I, I miss him. And Bud Presley, who anybody, like if you ask Jeff and, and uh, Stan Van Gundy and their dad, Bill Van Gundy about Bud Presley, they could talk for hours about, those guys. So you're making me, you're tearing me up a little bit with these incredible basketball names. Did, because your dad, because you grew up in a coaching, you know, basketball family, when you were done playing, what was the transition like to 
like instead of coming back to the States, it's some, you know, how did it just, Hey, we want you to coach. How did, how did that work out? So uh, going back to uh, uh, when I, uh, when I arrived, I played for Lindsey Gaze, who was the Johnny Wooden of Australian basketball. And my last year of playing Andrew Gaze was at the start of his career. And I remember calling my dad at Loyola and saying, I got a kid that would just hear playing, but that would just kill your league. He'd be great, you know, fan, fan, fantastic. So yeah, I, I finished, uh, I played for about nine seasons for Lindsay and uh, my thought process was to go back to the United States and, and get in like my dad, high school teaching. I had a teaching degree and I coach high school basketball. I loved Australia. Um, I wanted to stay in Australia, as I told you before, but the avenue for basketball, it's a second tier sport at the time. There was not, where are you going to go? And they started a second division. And uh, just at the year that I finished playing and uh, Lindsay said, um, you know, this is, this is a great place. It's a country town. You started from scratch. I went up there, I met with them and um, um, I, it was a place called Ballarat and uh, I, I took the job and I'll never forget. I flew back. I go, God, I got to, I got to learn something about coaching. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no, no longer playing. So I flew back and I sat uh, in the stands at Loyola. I went to the game. My dad was the head coach of Loyola university. And after the game was over, I go, dad, I got to sit in your pocket and I got to get a week in here on the day to day. And he said, I'll never forget. He looked at me and he goes, my ass is on fire. <laughs> this, thing, this thing is, is tough. And I mean, they were, they were, it was a real struggle there. And he looked at me and he goes, I got a guy that's going to be great. He used to, he played for me. He's my graduate assistant. I want you to sit in his pocket. And he goes, he'll, he'll take you to where you need to go. And it was Mike Dunlap. Wow. Wow. So Mike took me under his wing and virtually mentored me. Um, right. You know, I, I was so, so prepared. Um, and it, it I, I remember the, the, the line when I went back was basically outwork them, outwork them. When they're totally, you know, the loading and all the stuff that's going on now, totally the opposite. While they're sleeping at night, no one there's recruiting. No one there's working five days a week. No one's bringing the kids back at night. No one's, no, you know, no one's going to the university and get, you know, he knew about Australian basketball because he recruited kids to his school. He had a lot of them. So uh, I went back there with that mentality. I, I recruited, I brought, I got kids into the university. I started a program where we trained in the morning. And this was an environment where you trained twice a week and played Wednesday and Saturday. So I had two very successful years there. And then from there, we used to play against the NBL teams, the top teams. We were a second team, but they had state league and we'd play them and my teams did well. So I got picked up and brought into the, uh, into the division one and at right about that time fran basketball for whatever reason jumped in australia from playing at albert park with 500 people at a local final to uh in nine this is let's say 1988 
1992, we played for the championship against the Melbourne Tigers, and we played at the tennis center where the Grand Slam's being played, Rod Laver, 17,000 people at all three games. And I remember we played Lindsey Gaze in the final, who was my coach, who was about my age then. And he walked down to me before the first game. And I'm looking at him going, you know, we, this was war. It's like UCLA SC and we're in the final and we're, cha- we're sharing the same venue. And he walks over and he shakes his hand, my hand before the game. And I'm looking at him and he goes, Brian, I didn't think this would happen in your lifetime, let alone mine. Look at this. And this was a, a, a guy that Fran was, had, had built, you know, he, he was instrumental in the growth of basketball. He understood the council. He had all the stadiums built. Victoria was his place. And here we are in four years' time moving from a 500-seat seat stadium to playing 17,000 people and uh, the place packed for three straight nights. So uh, that was my involvement. My introduction was opportunity, um, being with the right guy. Lindsey Gaze taught me, you know, and for international basketball at that time, and especially Australia, it was pretty prehistoric. But Lindsey was well, well, well advanced to any of the other coaches that were coaching in Australia and taught me, um, as you're talking about international ball and you're becoming a, a you know, uh, understanding the world basketball. I played in an environment where it was three out, two in, and I was the point guard. And I came in and the coach would say to me as I came in, don't shoot. And when you bring that ball up, get it there and get back. And, you know, we ran three out, two in, and I, my job was to get the ball over half court, enter it, and then get my ass back and make sure that the defensive transition was in order and I stopped the ball. When I came to Lindsey Gaze, he taught me I had no clue how to play without the ball in my hand. Absolutely zero. And we ran a chin version. He was famous. We called it the shuffle back then. But I was like, God, man, I've never worked so hard in the half court in my life. I'm, ex- you know, I'm exhausted. I'm used to just throwing it and standing. But uh, he taught me so much about the offensive end of the floor. And I'm very fortunate uh, to um, get into coaching and having his, you know, him behind me. And then also what I learned during my time playing for him. That's awesome. That's awesome. He's in the Hall of Fame, the Naismith Hall of Fame. I think I was there the year he was inducted. Um, you were the six-time coach of the year in the league. You obviously learned well from him, your dad, Mike Dunlap, and others. You were the most successful professional coach, I think, uh, and it still may be, if I'm not mistaken. But then you, you, you go to China. Now, most of us have never been to China. Um, when it comes to basketball over there, I have been now a couple times. If you tell the Chinese that the sky is blue, they'll tell you that it's cloudy. It was a sunny day. Whatever you tell them, it's the opposite to them. How do you, how did you manage to, you may be going back, so I know you can't say anything bad. I know right now you're coaching in the MVL. We'll talk about that. I don't want to say anything negative, but just explain the uniqueness of the Chinese professional basketball culture. There's, there's, there's two things. One, one, just so um, I got fed up here with um, 
the constant, we talked about the doyant days. Then I had a, an eight year, we win three championships in Sydney in the team folds. And they said, if, if you get Sydney going, if you get Brett Brown leaves Sydney and goes to the Spurs, I come in and we win three championships in a row and they fold the team up. I go to the Dragons, which is a newly formed team in Melbourne, and they've got Joe Ingles. And I'm going there. I bring in, they finished last. And they had Mark Price as their coach. And Mark leaves. I come in one year. We win the championship. I, the team wins it. The owner comes up to me and says, I'm not happy with the TV package. I'm not happy with, you know, the court hire. If they don't fix this, get a new, I'm out. So um, he leaves. We fold that up. I go to China and we play the Beijing Olympics. And um, Fran, after going to Athens and uh, basketball, it, it was the, I mean, being a part of being an Olympian is a special experience, but nothing like Beijing and Yao Ming being the face of the whole Olympics and going into China and being around a basketball crazy country. So long story, I end up, uh, I'm, I'm done with, uh, I, I'm tired of the merges, tired of the clubs being bankrupt, tired of worrying about my players getting paid. That's what NBL was like at that time. Got the opportunity in, in China and all those issues were gone. It's like you're coaching the Lakers, but there's a billion people. So the game is, the, you do a clinic, there's a thousand kids there. You, you know, best travel, great uniforms, uh, the great TV package, but the game itself, the players, um, it was a very challenging coaching experience. One is because most of them were one dimensional. This guy's job. I remember um, coming into a, and I did a clinic for the summer league and, and uh, they had an international element and they brought, you know, Del Harris was there, the coach at that time of, of Spain, the assistant coach at uh, Toronto, the coach, the head coach was Serbian for, for Phoenix. They all did clinics. And there, I remember they say the ball's reversed to the four and he's got seven options, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, I get up and I go, well, one, you know, I couldn't explain seven options because we'd be here all day because I worked through an interpreter and I could be telling him, you know, you know, pass the ball there and cut. And then you can pass the ball there and screen. You can pass the ball. And after the third one, he's he could be saying, hey, this guy's talking too much. Don't listen to him. And I have no idea. And number two, is the guy you're the guy you're throwing the ball to his job may be his only thing he does is guard Marbury. You know, you come in and you face guard him, you stand on his feet, you, 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 you do whatever you can to throw him off. That's all he does. Another guy, it made just his ability to shoot. So my, my point in all of this, when you asked me the struggle with China for me, was anything that needed to be done, and you know, to be good in basketball, there's a process. And, and okay, if you're going to lift weights, then the next game you play, the team better be stronger. If, if, if it isn't instant, they don't want to know about it. Stop with the rice. And it's not your, your diet against ours. It's professional players need protein. 
Well, if you feed them protein and they don't instantly gain weight and you don't win, scrap it. So um, I would, you would go through things and you could never in basketball, Johnny wouldn't, you know, show it, walk through it, repetition, repetition, you know, correct it, repetition, repetition, repetition. The repetition part ain't happening. And uh, that, that part, ownership would come in and say, you know, put more weight on the bar. Ownership would come in and say, you know, you've got to run them more. Um, ownership would come in and say, you know, you, 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 you can't run that. You know, it, it's just so the process that it takes to get good, um, they need it now and it's got to be instant and basketball doesn't work that way. That was the hardest part for it. But, it, but as far as um, a, they do have a, a lot of people engaged in the game, they've got a lot of people coming over and, and doing some good things, but the ability for that to stick is, you know, you, if you came in and did a clinic and went through it with the coaches, here's the drills, here's what you do, you leave, they go right back to what they were doing. So the, the, the processes and um, the last part of it is the, the training loads. I, I've never been a part of anything. You know, it's, I lost, I got there, I was uh, 92 kilos. When I left the first year and came back, I was 78. I mean, we, we, we practiced from nine to 12. They, we ate, ate a, you know, rice and some noodles. Then we'd sleep from one to three and we would come back and train from three thirty to six. And there would be somebody watching and making sure you didn't leave before six. And I would go back to my room and they'd have to come back and make 200 shots. And this coach would go on for six months. You get one month off. It's like a business. So you play your season, you get one month off. And then those kids go into camp. You live in the training facility and upstairs there's a dining hall and below the dining hall is the court. And so you're in that building. You virtually don't leave except for Sunday afternoon. You're in there bunkered down all the way until the season starts. And the imports arrive about six weeks before. And then once the season starts, so they don't experience this because when the season starts, it's like the NBA. You travel, play, travel, play, travel, play. But the six months leading in is brutal. How much has Yao helped to try to change that? Because this, this is all the things that I've heard from my friends who've been over there. But with Yao's uh, stature in the country, the night I was there to see you, because of my friendship with Jeff Van Gundy and Tom Thibodeau, I got to sit with Yao. How much is he seeing what's going on and trying to change that basketball culture? Because he must think it's he must think it's insane. You know, it's it's I I played for Yao, and uh, uh, when I said well, I played for Yao, sorry, I coached for Shanghai, and Yao owned Shanghai at that time, and I left Shanghai because Yao became the head of the CBA. And as far as Fran, as far as a, a quality human being, I was around him for a year and never met a better dude and uh, absolutely got it basketball wise. But he's in a battle. He is in a battle. There's a and and now 
let's go to to he's he's 35 he's not 40 yet and these guys there's there's a military there's a, a governing body that looks over this it's not totally on the same page so now you take it when Yao Batir Gigi Wang that group uh, and uh, Del Harris uh, Jonas from Lithuania did a tremendous job with the national team and they were competitive. They could play France. They could play it. They, you know, they were competitive. Now's team, um, Yao's taken this and they didn't qualify for the first time. They haven't qualified for the Olympics. Iran came out of there. They didn't win the uh, Asian cup. You know, um, so now Yao's in charge of all of this and there's a, a, a lot of push. We got to get back to, you know, because you start making inroads. We got to get back to the training three times a day. We got to get the things that I've just talked about. There's push. That's how you win, because during that um, time when it was at its Haitian days, they were doing that and the national team was successful. So now the all the stuff that Yao's doing, it all it all lines in with okay, this is your national team, and that's the face for Australia. How's it doing? And to be truthful with you, the last performance was abysmal and uh, uh, very very disappointed, and it was in China. So now Yao's stranglehold on the look that that's 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 a battle, and. Uh, I, 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 um, it's, it's, it's really, it, it, it tugs at the heartstrings because I, th there's a lot of young coaches that, that, uh, uh, have talent that have been nurtured by people from the West and they've listened and a lot more of the young ones can speak English. And, uh, there's a tremendous love for basketball and Fran, I'm telling you, as, as far as people that I've met in my life. Um, I've met a lot of wonderful Chinese in basketball that are, have been so can that coach, are you okay? Coach, you sound like, you know, uh, do you need anything? Can I help? And the players totally respectful, never a back chat, never a question, never. And, and they want competence and they want to learn and they want to be trained how you're training them. So it, it's, uh, it, it's, um, I loved it. I, I did love my time there, but um, what I can see too is, is the basketball and this fight is stagnating. And when I come here and come back into this league, as you're saying, I've been startled by how good these young coaches are in the NBL and the programs. And now you add the culture and the toughness that you're talking about in the, what's going on in the rest of the world in Europe with the virus and the things going on and the links now between Australia and America, this is becoming a very attractive place for uh, American players. Um, the synergy America in the NBA has, has, has done, we've started to play games and uh, sharing knowledge and these young coaches in this league, like you said, are, are guys that I look at and could go to a division one school and, 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 and do that coach. And we've got guys that have coached here, uh, Damian Cotter, head coach of uh, the Chicago G league team. And he's now on their staff. 
Um, a lot of guys like that. And there's um, I've been really uh, enjoying the competition because that's why we're in this game, the competition and the toughness of the competition I've missed. But uh, I, I do have people go um, about the Chinese thing and I'll finish with it is uh, my quality of life over there. We used to travel and whenever you traveled with the national team and I was going over there in the early 90s late eighties. And it was, you have this amount of time that you can have a team over there and you got to get them back. Cause there's no coming They're They're, they're done. And people say, God, how did you, you know, forget the basketball. How did you, and I'll tell you coach that Dongguan, Shenzhen, Hong Kong, Macau, that Southern tip of China is my hotel living, my food, the people. And then you've been to Shanghai. Shanghai was like, you know, New York on steroids. It's like, man, oh man, what a great place and, and multicultural. So I, as far as a place to, I would go back there and I know people think I'm nuts, but I'd go back there for a holiday. And uh, my time there was, was, was special, but there was frustrations as you bring out in the basketball. I went to dinner with Yao, Yao's business guy. I can't remember his name now. He took me to dinner and uh, he took me to an Italian restaurant in Shanghai. It was unbelievable how, oh, good, the, how, good, the, how good the food was and how, how cool a city it is. It's an amazing, an amazing place. Um, I don't want to keep you much longer. I got to ask you this really just to wrap up in, in 2016, I did the game in the bronze medal game where to me, two horrendous calls at the end of that game against Australia versus Spain tipped the game. It really did. I, I don't, you know, it was a great battle, two great teams. What would a medal, given the rise of basketball in Australia, I, I would say over the last couple decades, what would an Olympic medal mean to, to the basketball community of Australia? Boy, um, Fran, I'll, I'll, I'll finish with a great, so I, so I, I, uh, it, it would mean so much to a lot of people. And one of, I think the hardest thing about this job was actually taking it. You know, when it, when, when I spoke with Brett Brown and we talked, I, I, I was like, man, there's so much, um, there's so many people that have given their heart and soul and this is a loot. The women have got it done. It's eluded them for, you know, fourth, 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 fifth, fourth. And um, I'm in, it's 12 years removed. I bring my Chinese team to Australia to train for 50 days and play and get tough playing uh, warm up. And at the exact same time, Team USA has come to Australia to play those games in lead in to the world and uh, we're practicing. I'm thinking there's going to be 50,000 people at this game. I'm, I'm an ex coach. So they've invited me. You get the pass. I can go into the bar. I got a good seat, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm with the, all the Chinese and I go, I'm not, there's too many people. This won't work, you know? So I say no. And then we're training and the coach comes up to me and he brings the interpreter. And he goes, Hey, Brian, you know, the interpreter, could coach, could you guys anyway get to this game? I really want to be a part of this. I, I really want to see this. Australia is great. You know, the atmosphere, I really want to see this. So um, I call Basketball Australia. They line up for my whole staff. 
to come. So he and I have got the pass where the interpreter takes the other four. We go, you know, meet the people before the game. Some, you know, Lindsey Gay, you know, Brett, Barry Barnes, all the ex, there's Lauren, they're all there, right? So I'm sitting and I'm sitting next to Dave Anderson, who I coached and Brad Newley. And they were sitting, we're talking during, I haven't seen 12 years. Hey man, great. And the game's going on and there's 50,000 people, Fran, in a game and the court's here. And it's, I'm looking at the screen and I'm, and now it gets to the fourth quarter. I get, gets to the fourth quarter and I start to get, everything starts to get quiet. You know, Patty Mills hits this, you know, you know, comes off a stagger, fucking raises up, nails it. Shit, up five. You know, quiet minute and a half, get a stop, come down. And then you look and you go, shit, they're going to win. They're going to win, you know, and it, it, the stadium kind of, you know, the shot, it erupts and then it goes quiet and now it's 30 seconds, you know, this thing's over. And I'm sitting in a section with all the alumni of the greats. All the greats are there, you know, the, you know, the, the administrators, the players, the, you know, and I'm still looking over at David Anderson and Newley. They're like ice. And now I'm looking in kind of a tear, you know, and I look back and this is the game finishes and everyone's stint, you know, like this. And I'm looking at the faces and there's tears running down all these administrators, all these people's emotion is all the work and, and look at this. And uh, that said it, you know, when I thought about taking this job, how much to answer your question, it would mean um, all these people be sitting watching this thing in their hearts. They want this medal so, so bad. That's the country. And then you've got a group of guys like that have put 12 years into this and this is their pinnacle. So uh, I fully understand um, the responsibility of it. And it it did. That was the one thing that, you know, you know, man, this is you're carrying a heavy weight here. And uh, but, um, yeah, let's go. But it it, it would mean it would mean um, a lot to basketball in the country and, um, uh, a lot of people would be. Well, I'm excited for um, you. Um, really, I'll really probably happy. see you in Las Vegas. Although because of COVID, I may have to just wave at you, and I'll be covering the Olympics uh, as I mentioned to you. So I'll be. Uh, I have a lot of Aussie friends. I'll be pulling for you. I'm, of course, I'm going to root for the United States, but I'm going to certainly uh, be pulling for you guys. And if you medal, it's going to be awesome because, uh, you know, as we talked about at the very beginning, Brian, uh, the culture of basketball that the country has that you've been a part of to me as a purist um, there's nothing like it. And anybody who loves basketball loves the way the boomers play. So I I wish you the best of luck, my friend. Thank you. I'll, I'll, my, my wife said to me, she goes, some guy Franz or whatever wants to do an interview. I can't be, he sends me the message. I go, Fran, are you oh, kidding? Man, cool. Get me on this baby. Great. I want to yeah. see this guy. I want to ta- talk. So uh, you've done, you've done, you've done so much for the game. And, and a lot of us internationally really appreciate you because you got a great knowledge for the game outside of America. 
And a lot of times it, it's, it can be pretty insular, but you, you've been tremendous and really an honor to be on your show. Thanks, friend. Many thanks to uh, Australia's Olympic coach and Southern California native, Brian Gorgian. Just a great podcast, probably one of our most enjoyable. And uh, I think you can tell why he is a great coach, why he's the winningest coach in Australia pro basketball history. And if you watch the games uh, on NBC, uh, you listen to those timeouts, you can tell there's a great deal of respect for Coach Gorgian. So uh, with that, again, if you get a chance, subscribe to our World of Basketball podcast um, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you can get those podcasts. Uh, and again, download the SiriusXM app. You can go back and listen to all of the podcasts we've recorded in the last year and a half. And five former World of Basketball podcast guests were drafted last week. Um, so we've got a pretty good hit rate on those guys, including top 10 picks, Josh Giddy, uh, going to the Oklahoma City Thunder, and Franz Wagner, who will be headed to the Orlando Magic. Uh, so with that, uh, the Olympic Games are going to be coming to an end, which means next week we're going to bring you to another place in our World of Basketball and may likely wrap up what you've seen the last two weeks in Tokyo. World of Basketball is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Chris Tyler, sound designed by Robert Moore. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for Sirius XM. A special thanks also to Sirius XM, Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Mr. Steve Cohen. Sirius XM Podcasts.